Amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Well, what's up, guys? Psalms 15. Psalms 15. I am not Pastor Jake, clearly. Uh, Pastor Jake is actually in the Four Corners out west at a, on a Navajo. I think it's Navajo. I don't want to mislabel that Indian tribe. He's at an Indian reservation. Um, he's preaching in the, here in the next couple of hours. He'll be preaching there with one of our missionaries, and uh, he'll, he'll be there this week. So y'all pray for Pastor Jake as he's away. Um, like as, Master, as Matt said, we are very um, involved in missions here, and this is an awesome way that Pastor Jake can go out there and uh, minister to those people. Also, just encourage missionaries. If you guys, um, I know Caitlin and Lindsay just got back from mission trip as well. My parents, uh, my mom was missionary for all of her childhood. My grandparents were missionaries for 40 years. I, I, I am a missions guy. Um, if you've ever been in the mission field, if you've ever been in ways where you are truly alone, it is the most lonely place to minister. And I, I'm telling you, if you could pray for anything, pray for our missionaries because uh, it's, a, it's, a it's a tough thing to go do. Um, it's one thing to minister in Statesville, North Carolina, where there's a lot of good people, a lot of good Christians, a lot of good churches. It's another thing to minister somewhere where there is none of that. Uh, so be praying for them. Be praying for Pastor Jacob as he preaches. Pray for me as I preach. Psalms 15. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a... Uh, well, okay. That, was, that wasn't true. I wasn't a huge fan of Psalms, okay? I'll just be real. I, I thought Psalms were kind of like lullabies, kind of just like passages that like we, you know, you memorize when you're a kid. Um, didn't really think there was much biblical truth. There's like a hymn book, right? I mean, Matt's the music guy. I'm not really, I mean, it's kind of like, that's cool, you know, like Psalms. I have been changed from this series. I, I will say that Pastor Jake, uh, specifically even Pastor Jay Nepovacimo, nailed that, and uh, Jonathan Blankenship, when they were here, they kind of, they, they were here for our wellness weekend. They weren't planning to, we didn't know they were preaching out of Psalms, but they actually kicked off our Psalm series. They both preached out of the book of Psalms um, on that wellness weekend. I really enjoyed those messages. And then Pastor Jake, as he's gone through Psalms, I've really kind of fallen in love with the book. And uh, I, I mean, I didn't have a choice. I was told to preach Psalms, but I am excited to be preaching Psalms. So Psalms 15, it's an easy chapter. Um, we've, we've already had a lot this morning. I'm not going to be super long. It's not a long chapter. It's kind of a it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's basic, but it's good. Um, I think oftentimes myself, and I think other times, even young Christians, we, we, want, to, we want to overcomplicate. We want to, we want to um, study the deep things. We want to know. We want to learn. We want to dive. And a lot of times the things that we need to do, the things we are failing at are the basic, easy things. And uh, today I think we're going to just go through this, this psalm, and we're going to talk about a few things that... Um, I think we need to be reminded of. This is a hymn of David. David wrote this. This is, a, this is a hymn that the Israelites would sing as they were going to worship. And um, it, it starts off with a question, and then it just goes about for four verses and answers the question that it presents. The verse number one is the question. It says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get right into this. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us um, gather together as a church family. Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach. Thank you for giving Pastor Jake the opportunity to minister to one of our missionaries um, out west today, Lord. Uh, be with him. Bless him, Lord, and uh, help us as a church family, Lord, to, to do the things we talked about today, Lord. Two big, exciting things coming up. Obviously, the Operation Christmas Child is just coming up soon, and then this building project is going to take, you know, the next couple of years. Lord, help us to get behind it and uh, to pray for it and raise it and uh, let you do it, Lord. We love you. And then we pray, Amen. I um, spent the first many years of my 
like working life in the restaurant business. I say the restaurant business as it's cool. I worked at Chick-fil-A and Cracker Barrel, okay? That's where I spent my first seven years of working life. And from the time I was 14 until the time I was 20, 20 I worked at Chick-fil-A for six years and uh, Cracker Barrel for a year and a half kind of on top of that as well. I like restaurants. I, I, I smell, my, Sammy, um, you all know Sammy, my wife, she made me, every now and then I'm like, man, I kind of miss like the grind of like a, a restaurant. It's really gross. I smelled like fried chicken for like six years. I had just acne because I would just be over fryers and the grease. I liked the back. I liked working in the kitchen. Um, it was gross. It was nasty, but I enjoyed it. For whatever reason, I enjoy, I enjoy working in a fast food kitchen. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. I enjoy it. Whatever. Um, for years, at every restaurant I ever worked at, especially these big corporate restaurants, I know many of you have probably worked at a restaurant at some point in your life, probably when you were a younger teenager, whatever. Um, these days, when you work in a restaurant, especially these big corporates, they have these things. Um, they're ba- I mean, each, every restaurant calls them something different, but it's basically just like monthly, bi- or every two months, every 90-day exams that the staff has to take. So basically, these are quick, little 10, 15-minute classes that you have to, when you come into work, especially at Cracker Barrel, they're really, they're really passionate about these. I'm just telling you this. Um, when you go into work, they're like, you have to go test today. So what you would do, it's the same thing at Chick-fil-A. Only managers had to do it at Chick-fil-A, but we'd have to do it at Chick-fil-A. Um, I'd have to do it for the whole crew. And we'd go in, and they say, today is a testing day. So we'd go in, and uh, we'd sit down on the computer. They had like a little, like, podunk computer lab at this Cracker Barrel that I worked at in Tennessee, and uh, we kind of sit down there. These, I'm talking the thick computers. You know what I'm saying? Like the thick computer. This wasn't, this was like three years ago. This wasn't that long ago, but they had them. They were the thick computers. Um, it, very slow, and basically for 15, 20 minutes, they would just ask us like food prep questions. Some of you guys know these answers like how to deal with raw food, how to, what temperatures food must be cooked at, how the oil, what the temperature of the oil is, um, how to how to sanitize vegetables when you get vegetables. Very basic kitchen stuff, right? If you kind of worked in a kitchen at all, these are things you know. You know all the temps. You know what pork needs to be cooked at. You know what chicken needs to be cooked at. Very, very basic things. But every 60 days, I think it was at Chick-fil-A, every 90 days at Cracker Barrel, I had to go sit down and go through and test on whether I knew how to properly cook food, be safe without getting people sick, you know, like the, the things that we don't want, right? I don't think anyone wants to be sick at a restaurant. Um, we would have to go in and do these things, and it was always annoying. It was always like, uh, now we got paid for it, so I'm not going to lie. It was whatever. I'd take as long as you possibly can on these tests, um, but we would go in. We'd take these tests, and it was always very, very basic stuff, stuff we knew, stuff we did every single day, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. Every single time I took that test, I found something that I was not doing. I found something I wasn't doing. I found something I was doing incorrectly. I'm not saying I was like doing things like terribly wrong that was an issue, but there was just something. There's a temp I was wrong at because we'd have to, we'd have, they say, what temp does sanitizing water need to be at in order for it to properly sanitize? We'd have to put the number down and I'd get it wrong. And I'm like, oh wait, I've been doing that wrong for the past 90 days. And then I'd have to correct and get it right. What they wanted us to do, what they wanted us to do was they wanted us to make sure that the habits that we were building were productive habits, not destructive habits. They wanted us to be productive. They wanted us to be correct. They wanted us to make sure the things that we're doing, even though we may have been doing them for a really long time. I worked at Chick-fil-A for six years. There were things that I did wrong for six years. I'll just be real. But they didn't want that. They didn't want that. It's the same thing with God. Same thing with God. I think a lot of times because we've been doing something for a long time, we develop habits. Just because we've been doing them for a long time, does not mean that they are what we should be doing. We need to constantly revisit the Word of God, constantly evaluate our habits, and measure them to the truth 
in the Word of God. Um, as good as other resources may be, as good as other preachers, as good as other pastors, as good as people who influence you in your life, it's oftentimes that we go revisit those things instead of revisiting the Bible. We must consistently revisit the Bible. So as we go through this psalm today, basically the question is this, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Lord, who will you allow to worship you? Lord, who shall dwell in the holy hill? Lord, what is the what do you look for in a follower of you? What do you look for in someone who is worshiping you? What do you look for in a Christian? What do you look for in a member of a full Baptist church? I think that is what David is asking. Lord, what do you want to see from us? Lord, what do you want to see from us? And this is a hymn. This is something that would sing. And then for the next four verses, he gives them a list of basically do's and do nots. He says, do this, do not do this. Do this, do not do this. Now I know this is not a this is not a checkbox, right? We're not, we're not, we don't live the Christian life to check the boxes to do the things that we're supposed to do and not do the things we're not supposed to do. It's not that. This is not a legalistic sermon. This is not anything like that. But I do I will say this: do not be so against legalism that you put yourself above correction. Okay? Legalism is a bad thing, but living a life without any correction is a bad thing as well. So as we go through this. Ask yourself these things. Are these things, are these qualities that David lays out in this hymn, are these qualities that we have, do we possess these as followers of Jesus? Do we do these things that, that David speaks about? Do we reject the things that David says not to do? Let's read. Verse number two says, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. The first one is this. The, the, my points sound kind of silly, but do, walk, work, and speak. He that walketh uprightly. What does that mean? It means to be blameless, blameless. Another word you could use for this is blameless or innocent, to be innocent of wrongdoing. Remember, this, this hymn was sung in the time of Moses, right? This is the time when the law was running the people. This is the time they had to do certain things, but these are not law things. The, 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 the four verses that we're about to read, these are not things that we must check boxes, but these are things of matters of the heart. These are not things that anyone else in your life will know about but you. These are not things that you can be graded on. I can't answer these questions for you. You must ask yourself. I, the one, the biggest thing I try to teach teenagers is to self-reflect. Self-reflect. Look in your own life, and you be the judge of yourself. If someone else is constantly having to come beside you and tell you what you are doing is right or wrong, then you are not growing as a Christian. You are not growing as a Christian. As a growing Christian, you need to develop the, the ability to self-reflect and ask yourself, am I doing these things? So, are you walking uprightly? Are you doing right? Are you worketh righteousness, right? And worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth of his heart. The first two are this. Basically, be innocent, don't do wrong, and do what is right. These are two very general qualities that are basically telling us to just do what's right. But just because something is obvious does not mean that we are doing it. So let me ask you this. Do you do what is right? Do you do what is right? I'm not asking, do you follow the laws of Iredell County? I'm not asking, uh, when your kids are around, are you, doing, are you not you know, cursing Pastor Jake? When he, I'm, not, I'm not asking the very obvious things. I'm talking about in the depths of your minds, in the depths of your hearts, where no one else knows, are you doing right? Are you doing right? Seems like a very basic question, but it's a convicting question. Are you doing right? Are you innocent? Can you say, can you say you are blameless as a follower of Jesus? Can you say that you are working righteousness. Are you doing what is right? The third, the, the third in this verse is, and he speaketh the truth in his heart. Another thing that seems simple enough, but if we analyze deeper, I think we fall short. We would not admit to lying to ourselves. We would not say that we do not speak the truth to ourselves, but here's the thing. 
when we are constantly absorbing things that are not the truth, we are lying to ourselves. And when I say this, I'm not saying true as in true as in fact. I'm talking about the truth of the word of God. Above all other truth, the Bible stands. There may be something true. If I were to, you know, if I could get up here and say that, you know, maybe you have a friend and they're annoying. And that's true. They are annoying. Okay. Some people are annoying. I'm not going to, some people are annoying. Right. You say that person is annoying. That is true. Is that truth? No. Now, maybe true, but it's not biblical truth. It's not biblical truth. We need to be people who are speaking biblical truth into us. They used to do an illustration when I was a kid. Uh, like, yeah, they may do it here. I have no idea. In junior church type thing, when they were talking about salvation, they talk about how they would put a little bit, of, they would fill up a bottle of water, and they would put like a little bit of dirt in the water, and it would be like, that was like the sin, that even just that little bit of dirt, even if you have one little sin, you still have sin, you still wouldn't drink that water. And there's always the one kid's like, I would, I would still drink the water, whatever. It, it, it puts the dirt in the water, right? And then it pollutes the water, the water's dirty. Think of it like this. Think if you have a bottle of water, and you turn the sink on, or a bucket of water, whatever it is, you pull, turn the sink on, and it's pouring into the water, and the water's just circulating over and over and over again. The water's pouring out, but good water's coming in. Think of that as your life, and think of the good water as the truth of God. When you are constantly absorbing the truth of God, and you will pour out the truth of God. When you put anything else in, that will pour out of your mouth. The Bible says that what is in your heart will come out of your tongue. What is in your heart, whatever is being spoken into your life, will produce itself in your life. Now, whether it's in the depths of your heart now, it will be the actions of your life tomorrow. What's in the depths of your hearts now will be the actions of your life tomorrow. And if you are absorbing consistent untruth, maybe just because something is true does not make it truth. Not because something's terrible, not because something's wicked, vile, awful. I'm not saying those things. This is a Sunday morning crowd at a good church. I'm talking about things that are not the word of God. We lie to ourselves. Our feelings are not truth. Your feelings are not truth. What, what, peop, what you think of yourself is often not truth. A lot of times, the, the, your, the, your, our biggest critics is ourselves. What does God say you are? Who does God say you are? What does God say the world is? That is the truth that we must be absorbing. Do we walk? Do we work? Do we speak? We must be people who speak truth in our heart, right? Walk upright, work righteousness, speak truth in your heart. And we move for the sake of time. Verse number three says this, he that backbiteth not with his tongue. So verse number two is a do, do walk upright, do work righteousness, do speak truth. Verse number three is a do not, he that, bite, he that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Do not backbite, do not do evil, do not reproach. This is a continuation from the second verse. In addition, it says do speak truth in your heart and do not backbite with your tongue. Backbite means to slander, you know, making damaging remarks about a person, especially if false. It says do no evil. First verse is do good. Second verse is do evil. I feel like do not do evil. I feel like we could go home with that, right? Do good, don't do bad. Pretty basic, but it, it needed. Seems easy enough. Then the third is this. Do not reproach, nor taketh up reproach against his neighbor. He neither raises nor receives a reproach. A reproach is... Uh, it's a ne negative word. It means, I, I, I could use the word gossip, I think. Do not, do not speak ill of your neighbor. Do not speak ill of your friend. I, I found this quote when speaking of this. I think this is a, a powerful thing. This thing that the church needs. Um, you neither re raise gossip, nor do you receive gossip. Nor do you receive gossip. Do speak truth. Do not receive falsities. 
neither raises it nor receives it. Check this out. This is, this is old English. This is from Matthew Henry, okay? Old commentary. It says, if, Ill, if an ill-natured character of his neighbor be given him or an ill-natured story be told to him, he will check this out. So if someone brings to you an ill-natured, a, a, a bad a quality of your neighbor to you, he will either disprove it if he can, if not, it will die with him and go no further. Check that out. It will, he will disprove it, work to disprove it, or it will go no further. Now, let me say this. Matt, one of my friends, spent a lot of time together. If one of you came to Matt and said, Matt, we were driving out of church, Matt rolled down his window, started cursing me out, flipped me, I, he pulled out in front of me, I would be like, Matt's my friend. Matt would never do that, right? I would defend Matt. That would end with me. I would be, it'd be very easy to do that for Matt because Matt's my friend. It'd be very easy for that to die with me, for me to disprove that, like the, like, like the quote just said, either disprove it or let it die with me. It'd be very easy for me to do that with Matt. Now, what if it's someone I do not like as much and someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm not going to name any names because I like you all. I like everyone. They say, hey, Jay. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, they say, hey, so-and-so did this. I don't like that person. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat that up, right? That's what we do. That's what we do. We defend our brothers. We defend the people we love. That's my family, right? I always love that. I don't know why, but it's like, that's my family. And it's like, yeah, but you like don't protect anyone else. <laughs> it's always like, I will never let something bad happen. I'm like, what if someone else's family is right now? It's like, we don't care about that. That's my family. It's like, we care for those that we like. We defend those we like. We'll go to bat for those we like. The good Christian, the growing Christian, the Christian that is, is seeking after God and worshiping God the way that David and his hymn command, they not only defend those they like, they defend those they do not like. It either ends with you or you disprove it. I like that. Not only do you listen, right? That's what, that's kind of like my always get out. When people gossip, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like eat into it, but I'll sit there and listen for 30 minutes, right? No, no, no. Work to disprove it. Hey, that ill natured thing, maybe it's true, but I'm going to expect that it's not. That's how you treat a brother in Christ. That's how you treat someone that we're walking. Here's the thing, guys. This world, that's not our team, Right? This is our team. I don't fight for the other side. I fight for this side. So when something comes up, even if it's in the team, I'm going to work to disprove it or let it die with me. Let it die with me. Do no evil reproach. Do no evil reproach. We move, we move. Verse number four says, In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changes not. This is one I had to wrestle with because I did not know what any of these words mean. So we had to look it up. This is a verse I, I had to wrestle. Contempt means to treat, with, uh, to treat or regard with contempt. Contempt means to look down on someone. And uh, the verse basically says, right, to, in whose eyes a vile person is contempt. Basically, a vile person is looked down on. That doesn't sound very Christian. That doesn't sound very godly. Read on. We look down on those that, that are vile, but we honor those that fear the Lord. The psalmist is reminding his people that those that are living a life of vile and without God should never have the honor of those who are. And we should admire and model our lives after those who fear the Lord. He's saying this, 
those that are vile, those that are wicked, those that are without sin, those that are of the world, you should look down on them. Not down on them in a sense of you're better than them, not down on a sense of um, you know, they are less than, not down on a sense of punishing them, be rude to them. No, no, no. You are different and set apart from them. So be careful. This is what the verse is saying. I, I, I promise this is what the verse is saying. I studied it out. Look down on those that are without God and look up to those that are with God. I think very, very often we envy the world. We envy the world. What I mean by that is this. We feel like often, I feel like especially when younger people, the reason many walk away is because they feel like they are missing out on something of the world. And what the psalmist is saying is those that are in the world, the wicked and vile, look down on them. Look down on them because you are not of them. We should have the fear of the Lord. Christians would rather envy the vile than those that fear the word, feel, feel, fear the Lord. People refuse to fully commit because they are giving some, they are fearful of giving something up that they would later envy. You know why some people will go to church their entire life and simply just do that? Because they are fearful to commit to something that they will one day miss. They are envying the world and not honoring those. The people who fear God sacrifice. People who fear God give. The people who fear God serve. The people who fear God are faithful. People who fear God have gospel conversation consistently. Those that do not, those are the ones that we should look down on. Not down in contempt. It's not saying, it's not, not, it's not saying look down on in a sense of you're better than, but look down on in a sense of that's not who you are. We should be so far from envying the world that we pity the world. Does that make sense? We should be so far from wanting what they have that we pity them. Not a pity, not a disrespectful pity, but a loving pity. As like a, as like a kid who got hurt. It's not, you're not, you, my mom, my, my mom, she would like, it was sometimes when we would like get hurt, she would kind of like, you could kind of do like the mom like chuckle, aw, like ha ha, aw, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you got hurt, you scraped your knee, it's like, you think you're into the world, you're crying, you're bloody, uh, you're screaming, it's like just a scrape on your elbow, and the mom does the, ha ha, you're okay, baby. It's not a, it's not, a, it's a pity, but it's not a pity as, oh, this kid's like an idiot. No, it's a pity as, this is a kid, right? This is a kid. That's how we should view the world. we so careful that we, we should be so far from envy that we pity. Check this out. The good view of where you're at with God is how you view the world. How you Friday night, Saturday night, it's Halloween weekend. There's Halloween parties all over the place. People are getting plastered out of their minds. When you hear about that, what does that do to you? Is there envy or is there pity there? Is there envy or is there pity there? When you find when when there's when there's plans come up, but you've already committed something to church and you're you're bummed about it, I get it. I mean things happen, whatever. Is there envy there or is there pity there? We should be so disconnected from envy that we pity. So disconnected from pity that we envy. Do give honor to those that fear the Lord. Um, lastly, and we move, verse number verse number um, five says this. He that, oh, and verse number four says, He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh a reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. This is the last do. It says, Do be fair and honorable. Be true to your own word. Swear to his own hurt and changeth not means this. When you make a promise, when you make a commitment, even if these things go against you, even if it turns out being a bad investment, even if it turns out that you would be hurt, that you would take that hurt and rather than change. Your sacrifice 
should be without anticipation of reward. Your sacrifice should be without anticipation of reward. Check this out. You would rather, say, say there's a business deal, say you're, you're working with a friend, whatever, and something goes wrong, there's, there's going to be a cost to you, whether financially, whether time, whether whatever it is, you would rather take that suffering on you and your family than give it to someone else's. That's what someone who is fair and honorable, someone who's striving after the Lord. Now, we would, we would gladly take sacrifices on ourselves, but it's harder to take it for our family. But as the leader of your family, you take that sacrifice for you and your family rather than give it to a brother or sister's family. That's fair and honorable. That's fair and honorable. Take that on yourself. You'd rather hurt yourself than someone else's. Be true to your own word. Give without expecting a reward. The, the verse number five of that usury literally means interest. He that put out his money to no interest. If you are loaning to a brother not charging and not charging any interest, it's all risk and no reward. But maybe all risk and no reward should be something that we are more comfortable with. As Christians, we do not need to be rewarded on this earth. We don't need, we don't need, these are, he's speaking in a financial term. I'm just, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm talking about financially. I'm talking about every way of your life. Do not consistently expect that you must be rewarded. <laughs> if you read the Bible, there are very few Christians who are rewarded in this life. In the Old Testament, a lot of wealthy men. The New Testament, all martyrs. We're in the New Testament, unfortunately. We're in the New Testament, where a lot of life is lived without reward. How are you living your life? Yesterday, we, I went to a, with some friends, we went to the App State game, and uh, they were parking at a, there was parking at a Lutheran church, and they did it by donation. They did it by donation. So that means like you can, I guess you can give whatever in part. Now you still, you know, you want to be fair and you want to give, you know, what you would normally pay for parking to the, to the, to the cause or whatever. Um, if I just went in and just gave, you know, whatever and left and, and, and parked, it would be pretty easy to do that, right? If I would, if I would, if they go in and they give the parking spots, they're not given any money. That technically that could happen. There's all risk for them. There's no reward. Seems silly. Seems like we would never do that, right? The church can do that, but as as individuals, we wouldn't do that. When we're working with our friends, when we're working in, in our jobs, when we're working in ministry, we must always be made right, no matter what it is, right? How about living a Christian life with the intention to not be made right, with the intention to sacrifice without reward, without Get, literally the, the, the illustration they give, the example they give is to loan money with no interest. If I give you $100 and you're not charging me any interest, that is purely the risk of me giving $100. I earn nothing back, but maybe that's not a bad thing in the Christian life. Maybe we should be living a little bit more without the intent of needing something back. Because what we've been given, right, as Christians, and we're done with Psalms, we're, we're, I'm done with this Psalm, and we're, we're back and we've, we've been paid for by the blood of Jesus, what we've been given, we could never repay, right? The blood of Jesus, you, you can't make that payment. So why are we demanding reward from those that cannot, make, cannot nearly give us what we've already been given? We are rich. We are rich above everyone else on this earth because we have Jesus. So stop demanding more of others. Live a sacrificial life. Live a life that does the fair and the honorable thing. Live a life that takes the sacrifices on yourself. That's hard. That's not easy. That's a hard thing to do, but it's a necessary thing to do. It's a necessary thing to do because maybe you could live a life 
that someone could see and say, he's not living for himself. Do you know what the next question of that is? Who is he living for? That's how you reach people. That's how we grow a church. That's how we grow the kingdom of God. When we refuse to live for ourselves so that others must ask themselves who we are living for. I'm going to pray. And uh, if you have, you can bow your head and close your eyes. If you, if you have anything you need to come to the altar about, please come do. If you, there's going to be counselors up front. If you have something, a question, anything like that, Matt's going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to get out of here. Let's live a life that causes people to question who we're living for. A lot of people are living for themselves in Statesville, North Carolina. A lot of people live for themselves in the United States and the world. We can be different. We can live for something.